Romans chapter 6. We're going to pick up in verse 15. What then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, Yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness." For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 15. What then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Why would Paul write this letter to the Romans and ask that question? You see, at the beginning of chapter 6, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And then in verse 15, he says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? One of the things as you study God's word, you find things out that aren't obvious when you just read it the first time. In verse 1 of chapter 6, when it talks about continuing in sin, the verb there for sin is a habitual sin, something that you're continually doing. And I'm sure all of us can relate to that before we came to Christ, that we were in the habit of sinning because that's what we are, sinners. But then a marvelous thing took place. Jesus started knocking at your heart's door. He started opening up your eyes, opening up your ears. And all of a sudden, you had a connection with the Almighty. He got your attention. Maybe it was something that was brought into your life to shake you, to wake you. You know, because He loves you and I so much that He needed to get your attention through circumstances or people in your life. And He got your attention. Then when you go to verse 15, this word for sin here is the occasional sin. You know, and as Paul's writing here, what then shall we just occasionally sin because we're not under law, but under grace? So this is a question he's asking. 
And I think we can all relate to that. We might have that habitual sin far behind us, but do we see sometimes that sin that we left behind trying to sneak back into our life? Either by the things that we are doing, places we are going, things that we're listening to. And it's very important tonight that we look at that aspect in our lives. Where are we right now? Are we content with being the believers that we are? You know, I'm coaching a baseball team right now, and I guess I could ask my players the same question. Are you content just being the hitter you are? Do you want to just bat 300? Would you like to bat 400? 600? Like, what's stopping you? What, what are you limiting yourself to? So here Paul is asking that question. Shall we sin because we're not under the law? Remember, we saw that because as a result of the law, trying to keep the law, what did we do? We found out that we were sinners, that we couldn't keep the law. Okay, the law was something that simply was supposed to lead us to Christ. It wasn't an end in itself. And we talked about, are you still living under the law as individuals? If you are, that's a heavy, heavy burden. Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death. You're free now through him and his Holy Spirit to live the life that he's called you to do. There's a great word there. You're under grace now. You're not under the law. It's not a race anymore. You have to do this. You have to do that. You're under God's grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. He paid the price. Now you just have to follow his lead of his Holy Spirit. Verse 16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Do we have the overhead, Pastor? Several times in the remaining verses here, we see the word slave. And Paul was awesome because he would use the, the culture of the time to really get his points across. And I want to spend a few minutes on just talking about slavery back in the days of Paul. And what I want you to do is try to just see before I bring out some things do you see a connection between our lives outside of Christ and also our lives now in Christ with some of the things, some of the principles that went on when a person was a slave? Paul, is that me or is it just not? We're good here. If somebody just waves to me, if it pops up, okay? This way I won't hurt my left side of my neck. Okay. Slavery. Now you have to try to put yourself in the place of a slave. 
when I, when I cover some of these things. Because there's a lot of things that we're going to look at right now that we can relate to. Okay? No other people in history owned so many slaves and depended on them so much as the Romans. Slaves did the dirty and the hard work. They were bought and sold in slave markets. There were children raised by slave parents who later became slaves themselves. There were soldiers captured in war, and they also became slaves. If they tried to run away, they were whipped, they were burned with iron, and sometimes they were even killed. It was an accepted way of life by the citizens as well as the slaves themselves. Slavery was beneficial, but it was also disastrous. Slaves worked on farms, producing the food and materials on which the city depended, things like wheat, olives, vines, and grapes. Slaves worked as carpenters and blacksmiths, repairing farm tools and carts. Slaves looked after cattle, sheep, and pigs. Wool from the sheep made uh, clothing for the Romans' army and their navy. Wines, oil, tools, meat were exported to other countries. This gave Rome their greatest source of wealth. Slaves managed business shops and public buildings. They were in charge of duties like shopkeeping, lending of money, buying and selling. The most famous task performed by slaves in the public buildings was working on the aqueduct systems, roads, and the arenas. While the slaves were managing the shops, the masters concentrated on establishing new businesses, which resulted in their being very successful and consequently wealthy. The slaves built bridges and roads, which were very important because they were built mainly to allow soldiers to move quickly in wartime. However, it also encouraged trading and helped the spread of Roman culture. Some slaves were given many privileges, comforts, and were treated better than most people would have imagined. Normal masters could hardly f fail, even if half ashamedly, to have a soft spot for the characters they had seen toddling and growing up about the place. These slaves, in return, ate and dressed better than the poor free Romans. They were even safer and more secure. Even though slavery was advantageous to Rome, it was also disastrous in many ways. The manipulation, the degrading, and the dependency of slaves played some role in the fall of Roman civilization. The cruel and inhumane way they were treated, factors such as military, social, economic, political, and Roman dependency on slavery combined resulted in the fall of the Roman civilization. It was estimated that an average wealthy Roman such as Nero owned 400 slaves in his town house alone. And according to one writer, some wealthy people owned from 10,000 to 20,000 slaves. One of the things that led to the downfall of Rome was the slave trade. Other ways in which masters degraded their slaves was by selling them into prostitution, especially the females. Some slaves became combat fighters, known as gladiators and chariot racers. 
The gladiators had to fight strong and vicious animals such as lions, tigers, and other animals in an arena so that the Roman citizens could entertain themselves. Because wealthy owners had slaves working on everything, the lower class could not compete with the freed laborers and were forced out of jobs. So they became dependent on the government to take care of them. The wealthy were forced to pay high taxes on slaves and were expected to help the community at the same time. So they started freeing their slaves. Meanwhile, the cost of repairing and maintaining public baths, temples, became heavy expenditures on the government. The government spent the majority of its money on the lower class. Lower class was given free grain like bread, oil, wine, and free entertainment. The government also spent money on the maintenance of the city. Because the government spent its funds on the lower class, there was enough money to support, there was not enough money to support military. As a result, no one enlisted in the army. No one wanted to fight, which weakened and finally led to the breakdown of the Republic. Rome's dependency on slave labor contributed to the decline of the greatest civilization in the history of mankind. Now, just think of some of those things that took place in Rome. And think of the servant's heart that was developed by the, Rome, the Roman slaves. They had to go throughout their whole lifetime unless they were freed as slaves and see that to their children. We have a picture up here. This was back in Egypt. But remember the, the lesson that the scriptures are teaching us that Egypt is a type of the world. And the Israelites under the bondage of slavery was like you and I when we were under the bondage of sin. Moses, being a type of Christ, led the people out of the bondage of the world to the promised land, just as Jesus leads us from the bondage of sin into a new life in his Holy Spirit. Here we just see the hundreds of slaves just put to work by the minority of the Roman government, where hundreds of slaves are doing the work. Now, my question is, through this adversity, how many of these slaves came to the knowledge of the living Savior? How many of them put them, their hearts in the hands of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Throughout history, persecution has brought people to their knees. Think of the slaves right here in this country. How many of the great gospel hymns have come from the deep south because of people under the bondage of slavery? How many of the songs have come to our, our worship and our churches from people who have come out of the slavery of sin and are singing with the freedom of the songs that God has put on their hearts? One of the things I read about was this uh, slavery and how they were farmers. How they were brought into the slave markets and they were sold and bought to be sent to different parts of the Roman uh, world. Here we see the gladiators that would fight to their death to f or to live to fight another day, whether it be against another man or the beast. We celebrated a few days ago the resurrection of Jesus Christ, how he has come 
to free us from the change of our slavery to sin. Not too much unlike all those physical examples. Examples. There's a spiritual lesson in, in all of this. Let's go back to the scriptures. Verse 17. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. I want to look at that word right there, form of doctrine. Jesus Christ, through the power of his Holy Spirit, melts your heart and melts my heart. He's already done that in our lives. He will continue to just keep melting our heart for him. He does that through the power of his Holy Spirit. He melts our heart, then because of his word and us receiving his word, he molds us into his image. We want to be more like Jesus and less like ourselves. So we come here. We read our, God's word on our own. We spend time in prayer. All those things are just molding us more like him and less like people of the world. But understand, he loves the world so much that he gave his only son. And as we example his son, we're going to touch somebody else's life. And as they come to meet our God and come to meet the word of our God, their lives too will be changed. As we're seeing in the book of Romans, where sin abounds, grace abounds more. This world is becoming darker and darker. But understand that the light of Jesus' love is brighter and brighter as it gets darker. You and I are the ones that he has chosen. He set us free because we were slaves to sin, as we're going to continue to see here in this scripture. But now we're his slaves, we're his servants. But better than that, we're his sons and his daughters, his adopted sons and his daughters. Verse 18, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. The title of tonight's message is, you have to serve somebody. And I know some of you, we've used this theme before. And it's a constant theme that runs throughout the scriptures. Bob Dylan, back 20 or more years ago, wrote a song. You've got to serve somebody. It can be the devil or it can be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. And I guess my question to you believers here tonight is, if I ask you who you're serving, most of you would say, well, I'm serving my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But I need to ask you this question. How many times during the course of the day, the week, the month, do you serve another master? The master can be money, could be your job, could be your children, could be health, or health issues, could be fear, could be something in your life that's enslaving you to another master that you're giving your devotion and your time to. Well, you need to hear some good news tonight that you need to just walk away because you're not shackled to that anymore. That's not, that's not something that Jesus Christ has called you to. Whatever that is, it's a burden on you. God has set you free from it. 
And if it's in your life, understand it's something to draw you closer to Jesus Christ, not push you further away. Notice verse 18, you became slaves of righteousness. You're going to be a slave to something. You're going to serve something. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, it should be Jesus. But like I went through all those things with the Roman slavery, there were some hard taskmasters there. Some beat their slaves. Some sold them into prostitution. But there were also, I hope you caught it, some good slave masters that took care of their slaves, that the slaves lived better than the normal Roman citizens. How much more our God, who paid the price for you and me to set us free, that we serve him as we get to know him better? Why wouldn't we just serve him more? But you're serving him, not as in a servant, you're his son and his daughter. You're a son and daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. All his inheritance is passed on to you. You and I will reign with him in glory one day as a result of your decision and my decision to receive him as Lord. Now, sin is always crouching at the door. Sin is always trying to get you back into the chains of slavery. That's why you don't want to even dabble in the things that you were freed from when you turned from your sin and followed Christ. Samson is a tremendous example for you and I. If you've never read the story of Samson, please do that. He was one of the judges. But one of the things he did is he dabbled in sin. And he had opportunities to walk away. And he did it. And his parents enabled him to go deeper and deeper into his sin. And what his sin ended up physically doing to him is something his sin did to him spiritually first. He ended up physically blind. But he was spiritually blind first because he didn't keep his face in God's word. How are you and I doing in that area? Are we in God's word? Or have we turned our eyes to his word and we're seeing more of the world and being molded by the world? The other thing that physically happened to Samson is he was bound to a mill and he just was grinding, grinding all day like a mule, just going around and around, breaking down the grain. That happened to him physically, but it happened to him spiritually because he was not leaving a leading an abundant life. He was bound in his sin, and his sin just brought him deeper and deeper into a black hole. His sin was the lust for women, the impurity outside of marriage, of just going after these women. He prostituted himself to feed the lust of his flesh. And he had opportunities to change, and he didn't. And finally, his life was a grind physically. Spiritually, though, his life was a grind before it happened physically. He didn't know the abundant life that you and I have available to us. 
God's promises to you and to me are greater than our promises to God. Think about that. God's promises to you and me are greater than our promises to Him. I don't know if you've ever made a promise to God, but I know any promise I made to God, I've broken. God's never broken His promises to me. He's a God of His Word. He can keep His Word. Verse 19, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Notice again, you've got to serve somebody. It's going to be either things that are unrighteous or it's going to be things of righteousness. Now remember, God is a God of righteousness. When you serve him, you're serving the God of righteousness. You're keeping your eyes on him. Make no mistake about it. The world, the flesh, the devil, and his army of demons will try to throw you off course. And we've all been thrown off course before. But God is right there to just say, help, dear Lord. He'll pick you right back up and set you in the direction again. But you've got to ask him. You have to ask him. That's so important. It's a willingness of your heart. It's a repentance. It's a true act of your spirits. It's a heartfelt response. Verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Look at that one. You were free in regard to righteousness. Think about that. You were free to do anything you wanted to do before Jesus came into your life. But think how bad that was, where you're really free. I don't think so. I think you were like the guy who had a rope around him, and there was a whole mess of rope right here, and he was trying to get out of the rope, and he just kept going like this and this, and all that was happening was the rope was going around him more and more and more. He was in his own sin and didn't know, and he was trying to get away from it. That's what happened to you and me before Christ came in and cut the cords of sin, that we could walk away and now see what we had done and where we've come from. And I never want to go back there again, Lord. I want to keep my eyes focused on you. I want to follow you and get into your word. And then all of a sudden, years go by and, and time goes, and all of a sudden, you're so far from that area. And you're seeing the people and the situations and the opportunities that God has blessed you with and the position he's put you in to serve him by serving others, by reaching out and blessing others with the very thing that God has blessed you with and using the circumstances that he brought you out of to bless others who, for a lot of times, are coming out of the same things that you and I were in. And I know many of you have seen that before. You've been helping people and talking to people that had some of your similar sin problems. Verse 21, what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? Anybody want to come up here and boast in your sin? I'll give you a few minutes. Come on up. 
Tell us your deep and dirtiest sin. Come on. Come on up. You'd be ashamed of it. I'd be ashamed of it. I wouldn't want to share those things. What good was it? For a momentary pleasure, right? Sin was pleasurable for a season. But boy, the price that we had to pay, both in our guilt feelings, our unworthy feelings, maybe the things that have done in our individual relationship with others, whether it be friends or family members. But the greatest was our sin against God and that relationship that was severed. But because of his promises, he kept pursuing you and me. He kept coming after us. Praise him for that. For the end of those things is death. There are some people we know over the years, right? That as a result of their sin life and not turning and following the Lord, they're not with us anymore. You know, whatever it was, whatever the situation was, their sin physically killed them. Verse 22, but now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. Notice the fruit to holiness. There's a fruit that's being produced in your life as a result of following Jesus. And one of the fruits that happens, one of the things that takes place is you're separated more and more for the things of God. Look back and just do a little litmus test for yourself. Go back six months ago if you were already saved six months ago. What's happened in the last six months in your spiritual walk with the Lord? How you doing? Can you see some growth? Can you see some situations that have come in your life that the Lord's really done a neat work in your heart? And if not, don't sweat it. Just say, Lord, make a difference in my heart. Bring me to that spot that you really want me to be in. Show me those things that maybe I'm holding on to, I'm enslaved to, I'm in those cords, and I want those cords broken, Lord. What's holding me back from running free with you? Because I don't want that spiritual bondage again. I want to be free. I want to be free to just worship you, have fun with you, Lord. Be a blessing to others that you bring into my life. And notice, the end is everlasting life. One day, you and I are going to understand that fully when we're in eternity. That everlasting life. Everything that we are, we're believing in, the doctrines, the belief system of Jesus Christ here, the things that we're trusting on, we're going to experience that in full in eternity. And this is not to scare anybody, but... That could be tonight for us, right? That could happen tonight. Could happen tomorrow morning. We might not see each other a week from today. That's nothing to be scared about, but if you feel weird about that, maybe that's that cord that you need to ask Jesus, snip that. Just snip it. I don't want to be in that bondage of that feeling. I want to be free, Lord, that when it's my time to go, let's go. Let's do it, Lord. I'm ready. Like Paul, I'm ready, Lord, right now to be absent from the body, to be present with you. But if not, 
Let's do your work here, Lord. Come on, let's go. What do you got ready? What are we doing today? Let's go for it. Because this is a time so short when you think about eternity. And think about the grace and the mercy God shed on all of us today that we could all be in a place of just reading God's word together, breaking it apart together. Think of that maybe five, a year, five, 10, 15 years ago. You weren't in that place. You were in a place of just going around, getting that cord tighter and tighter around you, where you were suffocating yourself and becoming a loner in your own sin. But now, freedom in Christ. He's freed you. He's brought people into your lives that love you and care about you and are on the same road to heaven. Verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. One of the Roman road passages, right? Leading someone else to the Lord, the Roman road. This is one of those passages along that road that you share with somebody. The wages of sin. There's a wage of sin. There's a wage of righteousness. There's a payback. There's always a payback. Doesn't matter. You've been set free. Imagine if you had a job a year ago or you just had a, you start a new job tomorrow and you just left your old job yesterday. Imagine when it's lunch break at your new job of going back to your old job and asking your boss, what would you like me to do today? You wouldn't do that, that's weird. Well, it's the same thing. You've been set free from sin. God has set you free. You're walking with a new master now, not a hard taskmaster, not a, a bad slave owner. You're work, walking with your new dad, Abba Father. You're in his kingdom now. He's blessing you with all the blessings and love that he can shed on you. Are you receiving it? Why go back to the old way when you're in the new way moving forward into eternity? The gift. Isn't that the awesome? You don't have to work for it. It's a gift. It's a gift given to you. Eternal life is just a gift as a result of the death of Jesus Christ. That was a great Friday that he went to the cross. It's the best Friday of our lives when Jesus shed his blood on that cross. And then how cool was it? A few days later, death, Psst. where's your sting? Pops up out of the grade. No movie, the real Rocky, Jesus Christ, the solid rock, overcame the odds and beat death. That's the God I want to follow. The one who raises us up out of our bondage of sin and gives us a freedom in him. Wrap up right here. Slaves of righteousness. One born into a condition of slavery. One whose will is swallowed up in the will of another. One who is bound to the master with bounds that only death can break. One who serves his master to the disregard of his own interest. 
The following is true, once true, in regard to our slavery to sin. We were born as slaves to sin. Our will was swallowed up and captive to the will of sin within us. Our bondage to sin was so strong that only death, spiritually dying with Jesus on the cross, could break the bondage. We were so enslaved to sin that we served it to the disregard of our own interest, even when sin destroyed us. Now the following is true. We're born again. We're still slaves, but to righteousness. Our will is now swallowed up in the will of God. It's his will that matters, not ours. May your will be done, not ours. We are bound to Jesus with bonds that only death can break. But, but, since he triumphed over death and gives us that eternal life, those bonds will never be broken. We're with him forever. Nothing can separate us from him. And finally, we willingly serve Jesus to the disregard of our own interest. May all of us be in that place where nothing else matters but him. Where all we see is him. Let's pray. Jesus, that is the prayer that we close with tonight. That no matter what is in our way right now, Lord, you will remove it. That your interest is our interest. Your goals are our goals. Your mission is our mission. And Father, if there's anybody here or listening that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, let them hear you calling out to them as a loving Father, saying, where are you? Why don't you just come into my family today? And dear person who's hearing that call of Jesus, all you have to do is just say, Lord, I am a sinner. I've been running from you. And now I want to turn and I want to run to you. I know that you died on the cross for my sins. I know you're resurrected from the dead and you want to give me new life. Come into my heart now. Fill me with your precious Holy Spirit. Break the bondage and the chains of sin. Give me new freedom in you, Lord. And I pray for everybody who is already a believer that we would just run hard with you, Lord, keeping our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, help us to just follow you hard and get into your word more. Show us those things that you want us individually to know. And let us be a blessing to you, Lord, as we're on this earth and a blessing to the people that you bring into our lives. Let us serve you and not ourselves. Let us become less and you become more. And we just ask this in your precious name, Lord, and for your glory. Amen.